Amen. You may be seated. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. Uh, my ministry focus uh, is students and has been for 12 years now. We call it HCSM around here, Holland Chapel Student Ministry. And I know that's why several of you are here today because we're going to honor some students from HCSM a little bit later. But uh, I need to tell you that the, that's good news for you that I've been doing this for 12 years with students because it means that after 12 years of speaking to students each and every week, I've got a pretty hard 20-minute clock in my my head to where whether I have five pages of notes or ten pages of notes, it ends in about 20 minutes because the students, that's about all you can get. So um, I don't know about um, you guys, but I went to some graduations this week, and uh, we, we had a, a great time at graduation. Uh, before I get into that, though, I'm, I've gotten a little ahead of myself. I want to share with you what's going on with our student ministry right now. We just finished a four-week series uh, on Easter, and we spent four weeks talking to them about what Easter is really all about. It's not about Easter bunnies or family pictures or egg hunts, and we spent four weeks describing to them what the Bible says Easter is all about. And I want to ask you guys to help me thank our volunteers. Now, before you do, let me tell you that the cool thing about this. We've had uh, over 59, 59 that I know of, adult volunteers every single Wednesday night in student ministry this year. And that looks like some coming early to work in the kitchen, uh, some coming right on time to lead a group of students, others uh, being there to greet with a smiling face each and every week. But I want to ask you, there are several probably in this room, but I ask you all, just do me a favor and thank our volunteers for a great year of HCSM. And then I want to tell you how you can help us as the students uh, this summer, these next couple of months. There's two specific ways that you, can, you as a church can help our student ministry this summer. One way is each week uh, during the summer that we're not out on a mission trip, we do something that we call pool tour. And uh, what that looks like is we meet here on Wednesday nights and we still open God's Word. We, have a, we, we always open God's Word, whether it's for one verse or for a hundred verses each Wednesday, to tell them about how our God saves that we sang about this morning. But then after that, we go to a pool. Uh, it can be uh, a pool, a swimming hole, a uh, uh, water park, whatever. But we spend the night having a pool party from about 7 to 8.30. And if you have a pool that you would like us to come to or, or let us come to, we promise to not take anything with us but some of your pool water. And uh, we'll be out of there at 8.30 every single Wednesday. So if you've got a spot that we could have fun, have a pool party at, that's one way you can help our student ministry. And we split it up, so we go to uh, multiple pools each week, so they're not all the students at your house. We'll send you middle schoolers, or we'll send you high schoolers, and we'll divide it up. The other way that you can be very helpful to us is through what we call service projects. Uh, we take a lot of pride in the fact that we uh, don't go out and, and solicit or, or sell or fundraise. We do one week for fundraiser for student missions in the summertime, and it's called Service Project Week. All the students who are going on summer missions and some who aren't that just want to come and pitch in, they participate in this week. And we come to your house, we'll rake your leaves, we'll paint your fences, we'll do whatever kind of work needs to be done around your house, move boxes. And if you would like to have us out to do that, that's the second week in June. And you can contact me or the church office in the next couple of weeks and we'll put you on the schedule. And you just donate whatever you feel like donating to the, to the student missions. And then all the students who work gets it all divided up and it helps students be able to go on affordable mission trips. And so that's one way 
way that you can help. Last year we raised $13,000, and I'm very proud to say that our students worked for it. They earned it. They learned new skills. They meet new friends. They, they get to meet you as their church family, and we have a great time at Service Project Week. So that's a couple of ways that uh, you can help our students this summer. As I was saying earlier, though, I was at a graduation this week, and many of you in this room, no doubt, went to graduations as well. We had an interesting uh, interaction with a gentleman uh, at the one that I went to. He was sitting two seats to the left of me, and he was dressed full suit. I mean, he was, he was dressed um, great. And he got time for the pomp and circumstance of students to begin coming out. And he stands at attention. I mean, like you would for the Pledge of Allegiance. Like, um, or like the bride's coming down the aisle or something. And he, he stands up and he quickly notices that he's the only one around standing. And he leans over to our section of people here. And he says, doesn't anyone stand up for, as the graduates come in anymore? And nobody really responded. I don't know how long it had been since he went to a graduation. And maybe that's the way it is at your graduation. But I knew that this was going to be interesting to watch because Benton had 380 graduates. And I was waiting to see how long he would hold out. Well, we sit there and it fills up a row here, a row there. They fill up about two or three rows. I'm thinking they may have got to the D's. And he realizes this is going to take a while. So he quickly sat down and did not hold true to his uh, passionate belief that you stand for graduates much more than past the A, B's, and C's. And then he had a seat. Uh, but there was a huge crowd there. And this passage we're going to look at this morning talks about two large crowds. I don't think they were as large as the graduation crowds. But a very, very interesting thing happens in Luke chapter 7 with these two crowds. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I can't wait to tell you uh, and, and to read this passage with you. It's one that could very easily be uh, read over as a footnote in Scripture, but something amazing happens here, and I think that we can um, learn a lot about uh, Jesus in this passage, but also something pretty cool to apply to our lives, and I think that uh, you'll enjoy this. So I first read this passage a couple of years ago going through a devotional book, um, and I was kind of on a little kick where I was going to start journaling or start writing a little bit, and it didn't last very long. But this was one of the sections where I did I was trying to write something every day on something that I read. Well, I read Luke chapter 7 and this passage here, and I simply wrote, Preach Luke 7, because this just jumped off the page at me as a, just a really, really cool picture of what we go through on a daily, on a daily basis. And I'll get to that point in a little bit. But I, Luke chapter 7, verse number 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. There's one of our large crowds. We're going to stop right there, and let me tell you about this large crowd. So this crowd is coming with Jesus from this village that he's just come from. The place where Jesus has just come from, he heals a man without ever even meeting him. He heals a man from a different uh, location. Uh, a, sir, a nobleman's servant was sick, and Jesus healed him without ever going there. And so you could imagine the excitement that surrounds this crowd. They are following Jesus. They're probably walking quickly. They're probably moving at a pretty quick pace to try to keep up with him so they don't miss anything because they've seen his power, they've seen what he can do, and they're, they're following closely by. I, I, I got to imagine a, a, just a buzz around this group of people. And if you could probably imagine if you've ever been to a, um, a busy place or an airport or some place where a celebrity comes in and all the attention is there and everybody's wanting to see and get a, get a look at what's going to happen next. And that's this crowd that's traveling with Jesus. It says that they go to this place called Nain. Now, this is on the other side of a hill 
from a similar story in 2 Kings where Elisha, prophet Elisha, heals and brings back to life a young boy. It's a very similar miracle, and it may be why at the end of this passage, uh, the people there, as Jesus leaves, say that there's been a great prophet that has visited them this day. And they make this connection that this prophet Elisha, now this man Jesus, must be a great prophet. Well, we know he's so much more than that, but that's just a little geography lesson for where they are at. So they roll into this city name. When Jesus has got a large crowd following him. There's a buzz about them. They've just come from something amazing. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 12. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. So here's another large crowd. Uh, they they kind of meet at the, at the city gate there. But this large crowd has a totally different feel. This one doesn't have the same buzz. This one doesn't have the same energy. This one doesn't have the, the same excitement. This one is for a funeral, and a, and a very significant funeral at that. Uh, bystanders back then were expected to join in and participate as this parade, this funeral procession comes through town. And so people would have joined in and participated, and I even read that they would hire mourners to cry aloud, to draw attention to this procession as it would go through. It was common practice to hire people around to just participate in the morning. And as I read that, I thought, wait, I've got an eight-year-old that would be great at that job. I don't know if you guys do or not, but I do. And the, the, the funeral procession would look limping down the road if, if it involved my eight-year-old, like when it's time to go to bed and she loses all bones in her body and just falls limp. I could see her doing that job very well and making a little money on the side. But they had a funeral procession going down the road with a much different feel than that crowd that's following Jesus. One of the reasons why it was so sorrowful and such a uh, sad group of people is because this one had gathered to mourn a widow's only son. One commentator said this, he said it was the greatest misfortune conceivable. She had experienced the greatest misfortune conceivable. She had twice experienced death. Um, she would have been now in a desperate economic situation. Her future would have been very bleak. Her husband had passed away, and now her son would have taken care of her. But we don't know what happened to him, but he died. And so now uh, everybody can't help but feel sympathy for her, uh, and they're joining in. They're, they're carrying this body through town towards the city gate because burial inside the city walls was not allowed. And so they're going to the city gate. And when they get there, there's another large crowd with a very, very different feel. I, I picture this much like we would be driving through town and all of a sudden a policeman whips up to the interstate and blocks the interstate, intersection off because, um, because there's a funeral going down. We're driving down the road and, and, and policemen jump out and they stop traffic so that the funeral procession can go by. And so no doubt Jesus' crowd probably drew back a little bit. They probably pulled back a little bit. Has anybody ever walked into a, a quiet room and you're, you don't know that the room is quiet and you're bebopping in, all excited and joyful? You've probably all been there, whether it be at a family meal and, and you're, you're carrying on and it's time to ask the blessing for lunch or maybe you walk into a banquet and you go barging in the door and you don't realize that they're at a quiet moment in the room. It happens to me very regularly uh, back here. Uh, in the back because the choir and the praise team uh, will pray every Sunday before service. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but we have pretty peppy music going on in here. Uh, and so I'll come marching through singing whatever's playing on the speaker, and I go around that door just to sing it along, and all of a sudden I realize Keaton's leading them in prayer. And so I have to quickly back up and shut the door, and they, they, they laugh at me every week. And I've learned to stop singing as I go through the door, but I still sometimes barge on through. 
And so you can imagine that's what this crowd probably felt. As they near the city gate, following Jesus excitedly, and all of a sudden they turned a corner at the intersection to go in the gate, and here comes a funeral with a much, much different feel. Look what happens in verse 13. It says, When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back his mother. I missed an important word there. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Two crowds, one full of sorrow, darkness, death, the other full of joy, light, and life. And there's this gap in the middle because no doubt they were waiting. You know, they were waiting to go by. And Jesus bridges that gap. Why? The Bible says he saw her. It simply says that he saw her and was filled with compassion. Maybe he saw her recognizing the situation, all-knowing, knows that this is a widow's only son. And he recognized that's what he was about to do, was to go to die on the cross and as God's only son. So maybe that's what it was. Or maybe he just felt compassion on her. He recognized her loss. Now the, the coffin here it speaks of was probably more like a, a stretcher. And Jesus does something else that's extremely interesting and would have been unheard of in the time. He walks over, bridges the gap between life and death, between light and darkness, goes right up to this stretcher where this dead body is laying and touches it. The Bible says he touches it. Now, if, no, if people weren't looking at that time, when he touched the dead body, everybody would have been looking because it was unheard of. You wouldn't have done that because you would have been unclean. But Jesus didn't worry about being unclean. He got everyone's attention, touches the boy, and then the impossible happens. A dead body rises and begins to talk. Three resurrections that we know of in the Bible that Jesus uh, raised someone from the, li- from, from the dead, not counting his own. Others were certainly implied. Uh, he probably raised countless people from the dead, I would like to think. But we know of three. But this one was different. This one is different than all the other ones we read in Scripture. Why? Because the mother never asked for help. No one went to Jesus and said, hey, my son is sick, he's dead, come heal him. No one goes to Jesus and, and grabs him and says, you've got to come see this. No one asked for help. In fact, it's a good possibility the mother may not have even known who Jesus was. This time, Jesus healed this boy, raised him to life without trying to teach a lesson to his disciples, without trying to prove his deity to doubters, without trying to make a point of anything Simply the tears of a broken heart moved our Savior to compassion. And could you imagine the scene then? Could you imagine what would have happened at that moment? Now all of a sudden the joy and excitement that surrounds Jesus that had kind of hushed to see what would happen as he goes over and touches this dead body begins to infiltrate that other crowd as they begin to be excited and joyful. And we were singing earlier the Our God Saves song. There's a line that says, Morning turns to songs of praise. Can you imagine seeing that in that moment? Mourning, the wailing, the weeping, the crying as they're carrying this funeral procession down the road, all of a sudden turns to songs of praise because Jesus has done the impossible. We could 
dismissed right now. We've sang about the goodness of God. We've read of his incredible power and love. But I think we can learn some more from this story of light and darkness. See, I, I can't get this picture out of my mind of what this would have looked like. This life and death colliding. This passage is an amazing miracle, but I, I think it can, it can mean so much more to us. It's a picture of what we as believers face each and every day. You get this? We have hope. We have joy. We have light shining in our lives as we intersect darkness everywhere we go. It may not be at the city gates. It may be in our home. It may be on the ball field. It may be in our school. But we are intersecting darkness everywhere. Do we step aside and let the funeral procession, that darkness, go on by? Or do we step into it as Jesus did when he bridged that gap? Are we worried about getting unclean, being messy, or do we do whatever it takes? See, if you're like me, you're going to think about all the reasons why you can't do that. Because it's going to cost you something. Because it's going to, it's going to take some time. Somebody might not like it. And you think of all the reasons that, that, you, that you can't get messy in that situation. Or you can do what it takes. And the other one, the one that really gets me is, do we wait to be asked? Or do we notice it and take action? Do we wait for somebody to ask us for help? I'm terrible about saying, let me know if you need anything. I'll be over here. It's one of my favorite lines. Come, let me know if I can do anything for you. And Jesus in this moment doesn't wait for them to say, hey, hey, there's Jesus. He just healed somebody from around the other side of the hill over there. Maybe he can do something. He doesn't wait on that. He sees the need and he goes over there and he takes action. How many times do we wait and just, maybe they'll ask me. I'll be over here if they need me. Or do we go and do something about it? John chapter 12, verse 46. It's going to be on the screen. It says, I have come, this is Jesus talking, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. Jesus himself tells us that we live in a dark world. And here's the bottom line. If we have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and we are following, following him with our life, we have been saved from death to life, and from darkness to light. So we now have that light. If we're following Jesus, we've got the light of Jesus in our lives, and the Bible tells us that we're going into a dark world with that light. So here's the big idea for today. Jesus wants to shine through you. He wants to shine through me. He wants to shine through all of us, and collectively we can make quite a bit of light. We can shed quite a bit of light on this world that we live in. Now, let me describe to you what this would look like in our day. It's obviously not um, an image like we read here in Scripture. It's a little bit different for us today as we carry the light into a dark world. For some of you in this room, that dark place is your home and has been for a while. And maybe you're the husband or the wife that's trying everything that you can to model a life changed by Jesus to the other. And you wake up every Sunday morning and you pray that one day, one day they're going to come with you. And they're going to begin to lean in and hear about Jesus. Or maybe it's a teenager trying their best to be respectful and obedient to unbelieving parents because they, they know what it means to follow Jesus and they want to make such an impression on their parents. And even though their parents aren't always obeying Scripture, they're trying their best to be respectful and they're trying to, to, to get them to, to turn an, an eye and an ear to see what Jesus can do for them. Or maybe, and I know for a fact that it's some people in this room, it looks like grandparents stepping in 
and saying, I'm not going to let those grandbabies stay in the dark. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to take them to church. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus because I want some light to get into that home. Others of us, uh, maybe it's not the home that we're trying to breach with the light. Maybe it's the workplace or the school. That looks like showing some dignity and respect to others. Treating people the way that you want to be treated. Caring for other people, not judging them, but remembering who you were. See, this is the big thing. We've got to remember where we came from. So many times we expect unbelievers to act like believers, and they're just not going to do it. They've not been changed by Jesus. We have to remember where we were. Look at this passage of Scripture on the screen, Ephesians 5.8. It says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have a light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. Another way that you can do that in the workplace or in the school is simply playing Christian music at your desk. I know of some teachers that play Christian music as the students come into the room, just trying to get a little bit of light into those hallways. I'll tell you a really practical thing that, that I've seen uh, at Benton High School. We've got one of our seniors here today that we're going to honor in a little bit. And uh, she leads a fairly regular praise and worship time before school at about 7.15. Uh, at the Benton High School. And I, the first time I went to it, and I'll never forget, I walked in, and, and the students can go in about 7.30 or a little before, and so the students are kind of mingling around out in the hallway, and, and I go in trying to find this room because I'd never been to it before. It's the amphitheater at the high school. And I can hear coming down the halls the sounds of praise and worship, praise and worship to, to Jesus Christ coming down the halls of Benton High School from this room. And I go in, and, and Riley is leading a group of uh, students in there, a pretty large group of students, but the doors are swung open, and Jesus' name is being proclaimed throughout the schools, down the hall, 7.30 in the morning. That's light going into darkness. We can't stop there, though. We've got to think on a bigger scale. We've got to think beyond just workplace. What happens when you begin to infiltrate the home and the workplace and the school with the light? You begin to see a city change. I'll tell you a story about that. About 13 years ago, Cleveland was one of two national cities that was uh, kind of diagnosed uh, by some folks as the major cities in America that needed the gospel, that were without the gospel. One of them was Seattle, one of them was Cleveland. Holland Chapel and my younger brother, Todd Calloway, got that news, and, and, and Holland Chapel sent Todd to Cleveland. Well, he settled about five minutes outside of Cleveland, it's kind of like Bryant is to Benton, in a place called Lakewood, Ohio. And they went there with the sole purpose to take the gospel to Lakewood because there was no gospel presence there. And then what that means is there's no churches, there's nobody doing anything in the name of Jesus, there's no, there's no light there. And, and they go there to begin to spread the gospel. Now, beginning with families, uh, going into the schools, businesses, and then into city administration, they began to see the name of Jesus get known throughout Lakewood. Now, it's not by any means completely lit up right now. It's just like Benton. There's churches here. There's people that go to church. There's people who proclaim faith in Jesus. But the whole city of Benton is by no means believers, and it's similar to, to what they see in Lakewood. But over time, over 13 years, it, it was nothing for uh, the gospel to be proclaimed there in the city, whether it be at the park or at a school event or whatever. They began to see the good news about Jesus spread throughout that city. About two or three months ago, my brother called me. And I told him that I was going to share this this morning because some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. Others of you have been here at Holland Chapel and you've kind of walked with us through this process of church planning in Lakewood and, and you would be interested to know this. And he called me 
um, a few months ago, and he, through a long story and, and telling me the whole deal, he said, uh, we really feel like the mission has been accomplished. We never came up here to, to create Cross Point Church and, and make it grow and make it big. We came here to bring the gospel to Lakewood. And he said, I go down the streets now and go down uh, every street, and I can't think of a street hardly that doesn't have someone in that street that's in a Bible study, that's leading a Bible study, or that's doing something for the glory of God. And he said, I, I really feel like mission is accomplished. And so with that said, uh, God worked out some really incredible things. And, and Cross Point, uh, many of our students have been to Cleveland as well, so you'll be interested to know this too. Cross Point is blending with a church called Parkside Westside, who has since come into town. Uh, in, the, in the last few years, and, and together they're going to be able to accomplish more and continue to spread the news about Jesus throughout that area. But what that means for Holland Chapel and my family is that Todd, his wife, and their four kids are going to become a part of Holland Chapel in the near future. They're going to be back in early August, and so uh, it's really exciting. It's Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's really exciting. We're going to get to celebrate with them. It's bittersweet for them because they're leaving that church there. But they know that this, Todd said this would be the plan even if he was there. Because it's, a, it's an unbelievable thing that God's worked out to put these two churches together. To be able to do more. To go further faster, as people say. And so that's, that's, how, that's what it looks like when the light goes into a city. If Jesus shines through us in our homes, in our workplaces in the schools, at the ballpark. You know, some of you say, wait a minute, does that mean the umpire is always right? We had an umpire in here earlier, and I got to say, well, he is, but others may not be always right. But that doesn't mean we have to tell them that they're wrong. Jesus is shining through us wherever we go. Guess what happens? This city gets lit up like a Christmas tree. The light of Jesus comes into the darkness through us because Jesus wants to shine through me and you. You might say, well, that's, it's not that easy. It's not going to happen just like that. Well, you're right. You may not see immediate results. It may take 13 years. Some of you have been shining in your home for years, and you're trying to see some results. And maybe you think that you're not making a difference. Maybe you think that nothing's happening, but I'm here to tell you that God is working through you, whether it's at your workplace, at your desk, in your home. People are noticing Jesus through your life if you're living for him, so don't give up. Let me tell you just a few ways we can start. Maybe you're like, I don't even know how to start. Here's number one. Remember who you are. It's like we talked about earlier. Remember where you come from. Remember that you are a child of God who's been saved from that darkness to life. Philippians 2.15. It says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Remember who you are. We do a scholarship application here for our graduates, and I was reading through them this week, and I come across one student who had written kind of his testimony on the back, and uh, he, he said this, after giving my life to Jesus, this is a quote, I really felt like God saved me from such a dark place. He remembered who he was. He recognized where he had come from, and he goes on to say, I strive to be a devoted Christian. Remember where you came from, and strive to live on mission for Christ because he wants to shine through you. Number two, don't be afraid to get messy. Like we talked about earlier, we want to we find all the reasons that we can't jump in because of how it's going to affect us. We want to find all the excuses. We can't be afraid. Jesus went right over there, and he did the unthinkable, and he touched that dead body. Don't wait for an invitation. This is, I said, the one that gets me. Don't wait to be asked. Don't say, I'm over here if you need me. Go on over. Bridge that gap. Do something about it. 
shine the light of Jesus. The last verse, Matthew 5, 14, says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Remember that. Remember, we are the light of the world. How is it going to be lit if not through us? Jesus wants to shine through you. Today is uh, the day that we set aside uh, to, to honor our seniors. We do this every year. It's called Senior Sunday around here. And I think it's a perfect day. It's a perfect fit for the day for us as we talk about our seniors. Because they're getting ready to take the light of Jesus into some new places. Uh, no doubt exciting places for them. But if, if you're like me, and you're a little bit scared for them. Because some of those places are really, really dark places. Um, some of the worst, uh, most unbelieving places uh, are college campuses. And that's where they're going to take the light of Jesus boldly. And so we want to we pray for these students. As In a moment, I'm going to call them up and we're going to line them up here. We're going to give them a gift and we're going to uh, brag on them. And, um, and, and then we're going to get to pray with them. Because they're going to do, they're going to just get to do exactly what we've been talking about. God's placed them in areas all over this state. Uh, some are staying close, some are going far, but God's put them there for a reason, and I think they understand that. I think that they know that they're going there with the light of Jesus, and we need to pray for them. We need to pray for boldness for them. Uh, we're going to do that in just a moment, but first I want to just tell you just a second uh, about this group of students. We celebrated with them on Monday and then on Wednesday, so this is our third and final, my third and final time to get to really celebrate them. Uh, this is my 12th uh, group of seniors, very, very special to me. Uh, I've gotten to baptize uh, more than half of them. I've watched them all uh, grow to know uh, Christ and to, to understand that mission that they live with. I could go on and on what they meant to HCSM. But uh, I'll just say this about their attitudes, their personalities. In seven years that they've been with us in HCSM, um, we've doubled in our attendance and our number and our size. And it's because of their attitudes. It's because of their personalities. It's because they want people to come to know about Jesus. We talk about investing and inviting in here, but we also do over there. And they take it to heart. And they've been bringing their friends. I talked about service projects earlier. They've raised in their seven years $65,000 for missions and that they've gone out and and went on mission trips with $65,000. And they understand not just to go out and share Jesus, but share Jesus right here where they're at. 